All right. Well, good morning. I want to thank the worship team for those good songs. That's uh, uh, that first song, Ain't No Grave. Now, you had to feel something with that, didn't you? How many of y'all felt like you were in a Louisiana swamp, just escaped a prison, and, and there's a hound on your tail? Now, now there's two reasons you might have, well, two reasons I felt that way. Number one, uh, Jason told me right before service, he said, that's a Johnny Cash song he just found out. I was like, well, you know, there you go, Johnny Cash. Another was I took one of my hounds helping a guy try to track a deer yesterday. So I imagine those two things kind of conspired to make me think about that. But, but I think if you made one little twist in that, there was a beautiful message there. Instead of a, a prison escape, how about a grave escape? Not casting off a prison suit, but casting off grave clothes. And uh, we're going to walk out of that grave if we have faith in the resurrected Christ. So that was a great song. uh, My imagination went a little nuts with me. But anyway, thank you all for that. Luke chapter 11 is where we're going to be today. Luke chapter 11. So the other thing I did yesterday is I came home and I sat on my recliner about uh, news time and football was on. And and Whitney walked by and she said, "Uh, did you hear that the Razorbacks lost? And I shrugged. Eh. (laughs) <laughs> and she said, do you not care? And I said, not really, not really. And uh, to some of you, that seems like blasphemy. To some, it seems like heresy. I don't know. But you know what? When there's apparently no chance of winning at something, it's hard to say that you care either way, right? And, and uh, now it is possible for the University of Arkansas to win to win, to have a winning season. In fact, I was a U of A student. See, I'm, I'm an alum. Whitney is too. And uh, in fact, we were students when U of A won the 1994 NCAA National Championship title in basketball. So it is possible for the University of Arkansas to have a championship. Uh, does anybody know when the last time U of A won a football championship was? 64. 1964, I had to look that up, and that was before my time. You know, so, so I'm thinking, not in my lifetime has there been any hope, apparently. And so, no, I really don't care that they lost yesterday. I'm sorry for those of you who really um, are in mourning and have sat, sackcloth and ashes today because of that. And I say all that to say this. I think that some of us, it's, it's really easy, maybe for a lot, maybe all of us, to approach the topic of prayer in the same way. In other words, it's easy to say, a sermon on prayer. I just don't seem to be able to win when it comes to having a prevailing prayer life. And so I want to say to you with hope that it is possible. I believe, and we see in this scripture, the fact that Jesus shows us how to pray to win how to pray to win. He gives us a pattern and a plan that I believe can help us to be victorious in our spiritual lives and specifically in the matter of personal praying. We're in a short series on the spiritual life. We're just kind of getting back to the basics 
the basic disciplines, the basic foundations of spiritual health and vitality. Last week, we began this by looking at that story of Mary and Martha, the two sisters, and Jesus was in their home, and Mary had chosen the better thing, which is to sit at the feet of Jesus, to come and to just be with him and to listen with him, to him, and, and Martha had chosen instead to, to worry about all the cares of the world, and Jesus says that Mary chose the better part. Martha needed correction, and she got a little bit of a, a, a rebuke from Jesus. And I think that left us with this vision, just, just this basic idea of, listen to this, seeing ourselves necessarily as Christians at the very feet of the Lord, unhurriedly, purposefully spending time with our Lord. And I would say to you, the connection between that message and this is that I think prayer is the most potent or one of the most potent ways that we actually do that, that we just come and sit at the feet of Jesus and be with him and to be with the Lord. Tim Keller wrote this about prayer. Prayer is both conversation and encounter with God. We must know the awe of praising his glory, the intimacy of finding his grace, and the struggle of asking his help, all of which can lead us to know the spiritual reality of his presence. It's also the main way that we experience deep change, Keller writes, the reordering of our loves. Prayer is how God gives us so many of the unimaginable things that he has for us. Prayer is vital for winning in our spiritual lives. So let's read the beginning of this passage, Luke 11, verses 1 through 4, as we learn about prayer at the feet of Jesus. Luke 11, verses 1 through 4, it says, It happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins for we ourselves also forgive everyone who's indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. The first thing that I think we should consider when we come to this passage is what are the probable reasons that this disciple asks Jesus about prayer? What are the probable reasons for a disciple to inquire of Jesus after he's prayed Lord, teach me to pray. Teach us to pray. It's actually recorded here that it's one disciple that has asked this question. Jesus, teach me to pray. Him or her, teach us this thing called prayer. I've never been asked that by anybody. Have you? Has anyone ever asked you, would you teach me to pray? Well, this disciple comes to Jesus. What is it about Jesus that causes the disciple to request this lesson about the spiritual discipline of prayer. Well, first, I think a good place to start is that it's obvious from this very text that spiritual leaders of that time did that, right? Jesus, teach me to pray. Teach us to pray. You know, John the Baptist, your cousin, he taught his disciples. And so, would you teach us? So, so spiritual teachers do that, at least at that time. Teaching a, a model of prayer a kind of prayer, a pattern of prayer, all of these things. You know, Jews and Christians alike 
really probably most religions, have long histories of reciting prayers, actually, that have been penned by others. Now, in a Baptist tradition, we're pretty big on, on kind of just the prayers that come naturally from the soul. But, but listen, it's okay to think about and even to pray what other people have prayed. Not a bad thing. There's a thing called the Kadesh. The Kadesh is an Aramaic prayer that was, happened in Jewish synagogues way back in the time of Jesus. And it was a recital we have in Christian history, there is the Book of Common Prayer. We even have the Book of Psalms, which not only gives us songs, it gives us many prayers and shows us the heart behind prayer and the why and the what kinds of prayer. So, so it's okay to think about having someone else teach you about what to pray and how to pray, especially the Lord Jesus. So, so I think it's normal for a spiritual teacher to teach those he's mentoring how to pray. You know, I don't know how many of you, as we were going along, you thought, hey, that's, that's a little different than I have it memorized. Some of you have the Lord's Prayer memorized. This is a little bit different. Luke 11 is a, a different version than Matthew chapter 6. That's how it's the longer version that most of us have memorized. And there's a lot of questions as to why are they different? Why are they different? In fact, Luke gives it in a whole different context. Matthew gives that version, the longer version of the Lord's Prayer, in the context of a, a sermon that Jesus is giving the Sermon on the Mount. I think it's actually two different occasions. I think it's two different occasions. Think about this. Think about Jesus had a bunch of early followers and then different people at different times would join the, join the party. They would come and become followers of Jesus. Maybe this is a late follower of Jesus who came around after the Sermon on the Mount and, and was kind of here and, and seeing Jesus and hearing the other disciples saying, man, the Lord taught us how to pray. Maybe they're jealous and they say, Lord, would you teach us to pray? And then Jesus gives, and again, I think that perfectly explains why it's different here. Jesus would teach the same things over and over again. In a three-year ministry, I can tell you, when you're talking every day to different groups, you tend to repeat certain things. There are certain sermons that you would use. And I think that Jesus here gives the same type of prayer, though it's slightly abridged from what we see in the Matthew version. So here in Luke, it's really, it's, it's condensed, it's compact, it's potent that Jesus gives to this disciple to teach them how to pray. And the other thing is that we see all through the book of Luke, our family is reading the book of Luke through uh, December, uh, a chapter each night. We're just reading it aloud and that's fun for me to sit back and we take turns and just to listen to someone else reading it and you pick up on things that you might not pick up on if you were the one having to read it. And so I'm listening how many times Luke records just the simple fact that Jesus went and he prayed. He got alone by himself. He went to a certain place, it says, and he prayed over and over. Jesus is found praying. It appears that prayer is a priority for Jesus. When it's the first thing you do, and we talked about this last week, making it a priority to choose that I'm going to do this thing. So Jesus chose. And it says here, listen to this, he went to a certain place. He went to a certain place. So we would find places alone and times to pursue prayer. How often do we just kind of go, well, right before I go to bed, I'm finally still and quiet, and, and that's our time to pray. That's okay. It's always a good time to pray. But what about making it a priority? Jesus made it a priority. And here's the deal. I think here's the connection. These disciples are watching the life of Jesus, and there is a power in Jesus' life. The hand of God is evident God's blessing and his guidance and his will and his supernatural working are going through Jesus and, and people are looking and you know, you step back and you try to figure people out. 
You're going, how did they do that? What is going on there? And I think the disciples make the connection all of a sudden. Look at what God is doing through Jesus. Now, certainly Jesus, different than us, right? The Messiah. But they're looking at that, and I think they made a connection between his praying as a priority and the power evident in his spiritual life. So I think they said, I need that. I need to have that. I need the power of God in my life. Listen to how one writer describes the place of prayer in Jesus' ministry. And again, this is kind of the, one of the big stories throughout the Gospel of Luke. Here's what he writes. Jesus Christ taught his disciples to pray. He healed people with prayers, denounced the corruption of the temple, which he said should be a house of prayer. He insisted that some demons could only be cast out through prayer. He prayed often and regularly with fervent cries, with tears, Hebrews 5, 7, and sometimes even all night. The Holy Spirit came upon him and anointed him as he was praying, Luke chapter 3. And he was transfigured with the divine glory as he prayed, Luke chapter 9. When he faced his greatest crisis, he did so with prayer. We hear him praying for his disciples and the church on the night before he died, John chapter 17. And then petitioning God in agony in the garden of Gethsemane. And finally, listen to this, Jesus died praying. Prayer marked everything that he did. Yes, prayer was at the center of Jesus' life. And it was a power in his spiritual life. And so should it be and must it be for followers of Jesus. So those are some probable reasons why the disciples said, Lord, would you teach me to pray? Secondly, praying to win. Praying to win. This is where we'll spend the bulk of our time thinking about a prayer pattern and a plan so that we would have spiritual victory in our lives like Jesus has and like the Arkansas Razorbacks cannot seem to get in football, right? So it's a, a pattern and a plan for winning, not in the game, but at prayer. And I think that's what Jesus gives us here in what we would call the Lord's Prayer. Listen, this does not encompass everything that Jesus taught about prayer. So, so don't get all bent out of shape thinking that I'm saying this is all there is. This is a place. It's a rudimentary, foundational, important way to think about prayer and praying. The fact that, look, at, look down at the, the, the verse and it says, Jesus says, when you pray, say. When you pray, say. So he's saying there's a good in just reciting this prayer. But I'll tell you this, as I've tried to grow in prayer. And as I thought about this, and I thought about the fact that he gave it in a slightly different version in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter six, it's not like this is a magical incantation, right? It's you pray this and also pray this as a pattern. And it's been helpful for me to think about this as a pattern of prayer. And so I want to give you an illustration today, and this is going to frame our, our discussion and look at um, this prayer. And I, I think this visual, mental thing may help you as it's helped me. And it's to think about the Lord's Prayer as a baseball diamond. So we're shifting over to another sport now, right? Baseball. A baseball diamond. You know, when you play baseball, you're sitting here, you're at the home plate, hopefully you're going to get to first base. And it's done in a certain order that's, that's helpful if you want to win. So you get to first base, you got to get there first, get to second base, third base, third base, and back to where you started again. 
So let's, this, there's nothing, you know, magical about my division of this or thinking about this, but it's helpful for me, especially the way my mind works. And my attention span is very, very small. So, so when I'm praying, I get all messed up. I get all messed up. And so I, I've been coming back to this idea of the Lord's Prayer as a baseball diamond. All right. And you know, when you run the bases, it, it doesn't have footsteps that you have to run in. It's called a baseline. It kind of gives you a, a wide path that you can come around. Yes, you tag the base. Sometimes you swing wide. Sometimes you circle back and you come back to this place. Eventually you move on. You know, that you'll watch baseball players. They're, lead, you know, they're getting off the, the base. They're going to try to steal. They'll come back. So, so listen, think about this as just, just a, a plan, kind of a pattern. But there's leeway in it, and it's helpful to think about it that way, at least for me. So here you go, first base. And it's important that you get to first base because everything else follows. You got to get to first base. And listen how he says in the Lord's Prayer, when you pray, say this, Our Father, our Father, hallowed be your name. Prayer is ultimately about coming into the presence of God. That's, that's amazing. We are coming into the very presence of our heavenly Father. And you're not going to get ahead in prayer if you skip first base. If all you're doing, sometimes we call prayer just random thoughts going around in our mind, but we're not in the presence of God. We've not first come and realized and thought about who we're praying to and whose presence we are coming into. So we come to a Father, and He says, Holy Father, hallowed be your name, or holy be your name. In other words, I think the prayer is, God, help me to see you for all that you are in your holiness, in your splendor, in your beauty, and help other people see that. God becomes obscure to us sometimes. You know, it's like the sun and the clouds of the day come and, and, and block the sun. Lord, peel back the clouds and help me to see you for who you are and all that you are. So first of all, we're coming to a father and that is really important in prayer. Really important in prayer. We're coming into the presence of the father and we have the son who is there making intercession for us. So we're thinking about where we're coming to first base is to come into the very presence of God himself and enjoying his greatness and seeking that God would show us more and more about who he is. First base. A guy named Malinsky wrote this. He says, when, when, when Jesus taught this, he's teaching us basically, God shall be God, and man shall not whittle God down to a manageable size and shape, for that's what we do. We try to make God like us. We try to get him down to where we can fit him in our back pocket, and the prayer is, Lord, as I come to you, let me have a true vision of who you are, not a man-made vision of God. Hallow your name in my heart, and in my mind. So first base, you're coming to God. Let's get there, first of all. Everything else flows from that. Let's go to second base. So he says, our Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. That's, that's, that's second base. Now we're thinking about, God, I've seen, I've caught a glimpse of you. Now I'm praying that your greatness and your kingdom, your rule would come Matthew's version, on earth as it is in heaven. That your will would be done. We're thinking about and praying about the very kingdom of God. So we get on base, going to God, and then I'll tell you, a powerful life of prayer 
includes praying about God's kingdom. Praying for God to exude his power and to work on earth just like it happens in heaven. Who are you praying for? What kind of kingdom prayers do you have right now? Again, you know, in baseball, it's not all about my personal stats, is it? A lot of sports players play that way. It's all about getting my stats, but it's a team sport. It's supposed to be about, you know, our team, the whole of us, winning. What is our team as Christians? It's the kingdom of God. God, I pray that you would work in such a way that your kingdom is winning on earth. Kingdom type praying, not just all about me. On your pew, we are now, uh, as we enter December, we're in the... uh, month of international missions offering. We call the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Lottie Moon was a a, a Southern Baptist, a little bitty, uh, small, single lady who decided uh, that God had called her to reach the nations and she went to China. This single lady, she was a pioneer missionary. This offering is named after her. And in the month of December, we have the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. And all of that goes to fund our 4,000 plus missionaries and the works around the world to take the gospel to people. That's a kingdom type vision. And so, now look, your, your week of prayer, and this is online, by the way, at IMB uh, website also. There's eight days. I know that it started last week. I decided not to start last week. I wanted to start this week and uh, because it's December. So we're going to be collecting this offering, but not just, it's not just about money. There's a week of prayer. And if you don't know, like, what, what kind of things are kingdom come prayers? I think these are great ones. So you open it up, and there's eight different days, eight different things that I think we could pray for our missionaries and the missions that they're doing that are kingdom of God type prayers. Let me encourage you to include that in your praying this week and this month, but not just then, folks, always. What's on your heart right now? It's going on maybe in your life, in your family, in your community, in your workplace, or you just look around and say, I see this going, and and you can pray specifically that God's kingdom would be brought to bear in that situation. Pray that. So Jesus says, come to the Father, see him for who he is, and then get to valuing his kingdom and pray kingdom-type prayers. Third base then is, and this is just the way I've combined it, he says, now give us this day our daily bread, and forgive our sins, for we also forgive everyone who's indebted to us. Food and forgiveness. I actually combine those. Maybe you think I should separate them, but I was thinking about these are two primary daily needs that we have. One is physical and one is spiritual. Just like you need food every day, here's what I've come to realize. Forgiveness is needed in our lives every day. And becoming aware And bringing that to God, the sins that are in our life, and just praying that God would forgive us those things. You know, praying is an act of faith. Did you know that? It's an act of faith. You believe that God is, that he's a rewarder of those who seek him, that he's listening to you, that he hears you, and wants to know the desires of your heart. And I don't know of any better prayer of faith just to come and say these two things. Lord, today, would you provide for me? Because we're pretty sure we got enough, most of us have enough money in the bank to provide to go to Walmart and get enough groceries for a week or two. But he calls us just to come back 
about the simple things, the provisions of this day. He doesn't even teach us to pray here about things five years from now, does he? What about just daily bread? Lord, provide for the physical things today, but also for the spiritual things of the day. We need forgiveness in our lives. We need to keep close accounts with God, not tinkering and playing around with sin, but bearing it up, even like one of these songs said, confessing our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive them. And we know that as Christians, we have faith that the blood of Jesus covers our sins. So listen, folks, we're not hiding it. We're bringing it to him in faith, saying Jesus has made a way. Lord, would you forgive? Would you heal and provide for this daily need that I have? And then he says, and do this in as much as we forgive those who have sinned against us. That's a, that's a tough one, and I don't have time to go into that today. But it's just, I think, partly to say this. Lord, in our relationships out here in this world, we know that it's good to forgive. When someone has a debt against me, I'm willing to forgive. So it's arguing from the lesser to the greater. And so God, by the blood of Jesus, I'm pleading your mercy that you would forgive me. But I think it's also in this prayer so that we would remember as Christians the grace and mercy that we need and we desire. Other people desire that too. And in our human relationships, things continue to happen where we need to extend the same kind of grace and forgiveness that God does to us, which is to make it available over and over and over again. Doesn't seem very practical. Kind of goes against the grain, doesn't it? But grace is radical. Grace cuts against the grain. And I think this, that those two things are linked so closely because God says, you know, if you're not willing to forgive others, I don't think you've understood the depths of your sin. So I really doubt that you're going to come and seek forgiveness from me. And I think it's just good to pray this thing. Even if you don't get anything else, continually coming to the Lord and praying about the blood of Jesus over us and then asking for his help in forgiving others where they have wronged us. And so the disciples are like, uh, <coughs> Jesus, how often are we supposed to forgive our brother? As, as many as seven times? And, and the answer is somewhere between seven times 70, 770. What Jesus is saying is there is no limit. There is no limit. Forgive others and pray about it. It doesn't happen naturally. It happens supernaturally. So now let's round the third base and let's come towards home. Back to home plate. And here's what I see as home plate in my little conception. And that is lead us not into temptation. Lead us not into temptation. You know, running the bases in baseball, you're not out for a leisurely jog. There are people after your blood. Did you know that? I played catcher in Little League Baseball. And I know this, people want to kill you. When you're guarding home plate, now, not seriously, I don't think. It seemed like some people did. And um, uh, when you're guarding home plate, but, but think about this for a minute. Jesus says to pray, lead us not into temptation. Again, the Matthew version, but deliver us from evil. So there's this idea that there are deadly, dangerous temptations out there. This is not just a, a walk in the park as we're, running these bases, we're reminded that we're in a spiritual battle and warfare. 
And there are temptations and things and evils out there that would really serve to sink our ship. There's not just one opponent out there. When you're playing baseball, how many are there? (laughs) There's nine out on the field, and I don't know how many in the dugout. But there is that guy at home plate, and he's wearing a mask and lots of armor. And he wants to make sure that you don't cross that plate without him getting you out. Getting you out of the game, keeping you from having victory and from scoring, that is his job. And here's the deal. The Bible says we have at least three big opponents that would like to keep us in spiritual defeat. The world, the flesh, and the devil. The world, the flesh, and the devil. That's, I believe, found in the epistles of John. Think about this. You have a spiritual enemy who really does want to kill you. He's a murderer. He seeks to destroy you spiritually. And he also has a great power in this world. And so there are world systems and people that are sons of the devil. That's what the Bible actually says. We think, you know, uh, that we shouldn't say that, but that's what the Bible says. World, flesh, and the devil. And then there's the flesh. There's actually things within us that would hold us down, that would keep us from experiencing what God wants us to experience in our spiritual lives. And I think that we need to recognize all three of those catchers over home plate. And we're praying, Lord, lead us not into temptation. It's not, Lord, lead us away from temptation. God does bring us into times of testing, the Bible says, but the Bible also says God does not tempt us with evil. It is not his intention for you to delve into evil, but it is the intention of the devil and the world and even the wayward part of our flesh that is not yet redeemed as Christians that would seek to destroy us. And you know what we need? We need to pray for God's power and strength and victory that we be not led into the heart of temptation. So Jesus says, pray about it. Pray about it. I think we're so prone to think that we're untouchable as Christians. That, that it, we can do anything, that the grace of God is licensed to do anything that we want. And I was reading a, a sermon by Charles Spurgeon where he says, you know, part of the power of this prayer of lead us not into temptation is that when we pray that and then we turn around and we willingly dive head deep into the pool of temptation, it make us, makes us look like hypocrites and idiots. Why would you pray that and then turn around and go right into the den of temptation in places that you know you're weak? Instead, we pray, Lord, lead us not into temptation. The last piece, very quickly, and I'm just going to hit this because it's an important part of this lesson that Jesus gives gives us on prayer That disciple was not saying, Jesus, would you teach me a prayer that I could pray one time and then be good for the rest of my life? (laughs) No. Jesus, would you teach me this lifestyle of prayer, how to grow in communion with the Father? Quickly, let me just shorten it. Let's read verses 5 through 8. 
And then he said to them, so he gives them this model prayer, this pattern prayer, the Lord's prayer. Then he said to them, verse five, suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has come to me from a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And from inside, he answers and says, do not bother me. The door has already been shut and my children are, and I are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. And I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he's his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. Actually, this uh, part goes on several verses further where Jesus t- teaches this. Now listen, a necessary component of spiritual victory in prayer is not just having a a prayer to recite. It's not just having a game plan. It's executing the game plan with persistence. And I think this is a great mercy of Jesus to on the very tail end of this prayer say, now listen, you don't win a national championship by quitting every time you lose. You don't become a winner by being knocked down and refusing to get up. In any sport, in any venue of life, how much more in the spiritual realm? Must we persist? And I think that the reason I say this is a great mercy of Jesus is because (laughs) we fail at prayer so much. At least I do. I miss appointments with God. I say I'm going to do it, and then I fall off the wagon with the thing. Or I pray for a season, and it seems like, God, I'm not really seeing um, you answer this thing, and I've prayed for at least three times, right? Persist. Persist, like this annoying friend (laughs) who keeps beating on the door. I need bread! Get up out of bed, you lazy bum. Help me out. And he says, the guy's not going to get up and give him the bread because he's his buddy, but because he is persistent. And persistence pays off in so many things, and it will pay off in prayer. That is what Jesus says. So keep on asking. Keep on knocking. Keep on seeking. Do not give up. Stay in the game. Keep showing up. You know, one of the reasons I like baseball is because so many of those guys, it's like the good ones are even kind of losers. <laughs> I mean, their batting averages are really terrible. Here's, you know, they, they don't get up there and hit home runs every time. You're like, that's it? Or you look at the strikeouts and you go, that, that's all that guy? And, he, and he's a superstar. They just realize, hey, the roster's coming back, back around. I'm going to have another chance at the plate. I'm going to get another chance. And in prayer, when we fail, when we forget, when we fall short, Jesus says, all right, get up and do it again. Persist. Keep on asking God. So I want to challenge you today. Here's your challenge in closing. To choose to pray. To choose to pray. I think it's helpful if we are like Jesus and we set aside a certain time and place to do it. Say, all right, my appointment is going to be at such and such. I set my cell phone alarm once. Uh, for a long season, just to pray for workers in the harvest. I can't remember. I think it's Luke 10, 13. Can't, can't remember. But anyway, so I set my phone for 10, 13. And it would go off. And I had one prayer that I was praying. 
Choose. Do something to put the discipline of prayer. So I'm going to ask you this. Would you do it this week? Let's start there. Would you choose to do it this week? You say, I don't know what to pray. Right here. Giving you the little baseball diamond. Memorize that. Write it down on the card. Put it in your phone. And just think about just praying through those things. You don't have to be a theological uh, doctor. (laughs) Just pray what he said. And and your understanding will grow. Would you pray it for a week? And then think about, let's let's see where we're at next week. But but I want to challenge you maybe, maybe for the month of December. Start this habit, the habit of prayer. That's my challenge to you. Would you know spiritual victory? Would you see God's hand in your life and blessing and power come? It's not going to come without learning to pray and praying. And that's just the truth. That's just the truth. Put prayer and this teaching of Jesus to work. I'm going to have a time of invitation. I've always been taught that, that when you're trying to teach people something, have them do it right then. Have them do it right then. So that's what we're going to do while the music plays. However you want to pray. You can get down on your knees. You can do it right there. You can close your eyes. You can keep your eyes open. You can look to the heavens. You can look at your feet. You could grab a neighbor or grab a friend, grab a brother, grab a sister. You could come to the altar. You can have your Bible open. A great way to pray is with your Bible open. And you can even pray Jesus' own words, but let it be your heart prayer. So let's do that now in this time. It's just a time. I want you to pray as best you understand what you've seen in this model prayer of Jesus. Pray to the Lord. Go to him. Come into his very presence.